You're listening to the Darius Daniels Podcast. Well, what's up, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of the Darius Daniels Podcast. I'm extremely excited about the opportunity to have some meaningful and critical conversations surrounding the subjects of life, spirituality, and culture. We're going to have some amazing guests. We're going to dig in and dive in, and I believe we're going to have some conversations that are going to be catalysts for transformation. We're going to talk about everything that is impacting us in life, and I believe this podcast is going to be inspiring and entertaining and informative at the same time. We're going to have a blast. Excited about today's episode. You're going to eavesdrop on a conversation that I'm having with, in my opinion, one of the nation's greatest thought leaders. Buckle up. Get ready. It's time for the Darius Daniels Podcast. favorite people on planet earth as the first guest in the history of the Darius Daniels podcast everybody he is a New York Times best-selling author Jesus is a dope book how's your soul he's a leader of the church home community multi-site multi-congregational movement He married way over his head, everybody. Amazing wife, beautiful family. Seattle Seahawks fan, listen to this, and Supersonics fan. He's been alive that long. (laughs) Everybody, welcome to the Darius. We believe the Supersonics coming back too. Welcome to the Darius Daniels podcast. My friend, my brother, Judah Smith. What's up, bro? Unbelievable introduction. I, I cannot wait to meet this gentleman that you have introduced. By the way, this is an unfair fight. You know, it, it, with a name like Darius Daniels, you get to name everything after your name because your name is so great. The Darius Daniels. It, it just is great. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I, get, I didn't know I was the first guest. You didn't tell me that. You're the first guest ever man you're listen you're my guy i'm excited i wanted your voice i wanted your voice so listen i forgot something too i, I forgot to mention your golf game you are thank you sir that means a golf. lot all right so listen i'm putting you on the hot seat right now oh, i'm about to get you in trouble your favorite golfer of all time let's go growing up it was Payne stewart now it's Bubba Watson. And the truth is Bubba is one of my closest friends and I love him. So it's an unfair fight. Ricky's right up there. Justin Thomas is right up there. I love these guys, Webb Simpson, but Bubba and I grew up having the same favorite golfer, which was Payne Stewart. True story. Really? Yeah. We both loved him. We just loved his style. Like he just wore the coolest clothes and he had the silky smooth swing. And, and then of course he tragically passed away in a, in a private jet uh, crash. Wow. Wow. That's wow. That's, that's sad, man. Well, listen, yeah. man, I'm so glad to have you on the show. This <laughs> Thank is, you. Uh, I, we're going to allow, we're going to allow you guys to eavesdrop on a conversation that Judah and I would just have on the, 
phone. And, you know, Judah, right now, unfortunately, we are living in an unprecedented time in human history. When this podcast is being recorded right now, we're dealing with a global pandemic. And of course, our prayers are with all of the families that are being adversely impacted by this. Mm. And it's just it's just been mind blowing and mind numbing, I think, for me and for all of us. And you know what? I remember something. We were having coffee. Well, you were having coffee. I don't drink coffee. We were in Los Angeles at some coffee spot when you got the text that. You would be your locations in Seattle would be closing that weekend. So that was probably I don't know, it may have been like the first weekend in March. The rest of the yeah. country didn't catch up until the middle or the end of the month. Right, because we were the epicenter in Kirkland. Yeah. Yeah. I looked up at you and I was like, Darius, we we're not having church. Like we're we're gonna do church, but we're not gonna have it in our church building. Like we we gotta shut everything down. We had our youth conference all lined up and we had to tell thousands of students like it's canceled and um, yeah, it was just a weird phenomenon. Um, obviously very difficult and painful as well, but, but Kirkland, literally the, the original Costco, for instance, that's like, uh, you could walk to the original Costco from, uh, our main facility there on the East side of Seattle. And so, yeah, man, hearing that, uh, at the time, I remember saying it to you, you were probably surprised. I was surprised. It was kind of unheard of. We were like, wait, what, what's going on? So I kind of thought some of the, I thought our CEO and some of our decision makers, I was like, man, they're making bad decisions. (laughs) We just didn't know. (laughs) I was mad at them. (laughs) Yeah. I felt like you handled it so well. I would have like, I would have fainted. I would have passed out. You guys would have had to pick me up off the ground, but you were like, oh man, they just canceled our services. That's terrible. What are you doing after this? <laughs> <laughs> Let's hang. <laughs> yeah, that was great. But, you know, people are quarantined literally, mm. you know, all over the world. And I feel like a lot of reflection is going on right now for people. So for some people, they're reflecting on the reality that they may not, at least professionally, be able to go back to the job that they left for whatever reason. Unfortunate. Some... Yeah are doing some reflecting in the sense that they're thinking, I don't know if I want to go back the job that I left. And I don't want to reduce this conversation to work. And I don't want to minimize what so many hurting people are going through right now. But I do feel like it's important to steward seasons like this. What do you do with what you can't control? You manage it. (laughs) You manage it and try to multiply it and pull the best out of it that you can. So the point that I'm making is I want to have a conversation about this, this idea, because some people are asking the question, what do I want to do next? And other people are asking the question, what do I feel like I'm supposed to do next? Mm. And I want to talk a little bit about this, this idea of calling and clarifying it. And I know, I noticed a significant shift in the way you were managing your life well, probably several years ago, you were traveling more frequently, um, speaking. And then all of a sudden there was this drastic shift where there was a lot less of that. And this is our first time having this conversation. Come on. (laughs) So I'm assuming that that came with that decision came from some reflection. You got some clarity 
And did it kind of align with your sense of call? So, man, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, and I, I think my 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 initial sensation that I get when we start to approach a conversation like this is the reality that there are some practicalities, pragmatics involved in all of this that I, I understand it, and certainly you understand, and and we're just going to put it on the table. Uh, there is a thing called food and housing and these things that, that oftentimes drive our decision-making when it comes to um, where we should go, who we should go with, how long we should be there and what kind of compensation we're going to receive. And so the reality is we, we live in a Western world that has amplified, applauded, encouraged the bottom line, right? The bottom line is basically, well, don't tell me really what you do. Tell me what it gets you. Tell me what it gives you. Tell me what, how you're compensated, you know, and that compensation now has turned into an identification. It's almost turned into a value system in our culture. And so I do think we're at least you and I are having a conversation right now about that because of this, you know, we're starting to go, what, what, what is this life about? And so much of our life in the Western world really is about what we do for a job and how much money they give us to do it. And, um, our heroes on social media, the people that we love typically, typically are people who have jobs we all desire with the income we all dream of. And of course you and I, we come from a tradition and a teaching that is categorically different. Jesus has a totally different way to think through life and approach the decisions we make in terms of where we go and who we go with and and, and what we have to show for it. So I say all that to say, I do think we have uh, a very unfortunate, painful and difficult opportunity, but an opportunity nonetheless to ask ourselves, do I like what I do? Am I good at it? Um, do I enjoy it? And, and I don't know, I, Darius, I, I'm so caught up right now with this thought that Jesus says, I want you to go out and I want you to look at the flowers. And then I want you to look at the, at the, at the, at the birds. And I want you to look at, at their colors. And I want you to look at their feathers. And I want you to look at the petals and, and then I want you to allow yourself to expand a little bit and think if I, the designer, architect and creator am so intricately and intimately involved in these flowers and birds, how much more am I involved in you? And I, I don't know when the last time before this quarantine, I looked at the birds and went to check out the flowers because that's not the way that our Western world we're <laughs> wired not nine to five, baby, do it, get it. Checkings, savings, retirement, party, hang, uh, get lots of social media following, you know, all these things. And so I, I do think there's an upheaval and I'm sure it, it, it reads as a frustration a little bit. And I think it does in all of us. I've been so emotional during all this because of the upheaval, but I think it is an opportunity for us to ask ourselves when it comes to the ways of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, what does calling mean? And does it have any bearing on the, the pandemic and then the economical, the, 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 the economy that's going to be dramatically and already is affected. Have we lost our job? Will I have a job? I'll say this for you and me both. Hey, look, we still have jobs as it is right now. As we're recording this podcast, we still got jobs. So it's easy for anybody listening right now to be like, well, that must be nice, man. But, yeah. but nonetheless, 
we are all in this together. And it was about four or five years ago, I started to say, if money wasn't an object, where's my heart? Where's my passion? Because Jesus conversely teaches. He doesn't teach um, uh, that you just kind of follow the money and and that will be like that'll bring fulfillment. He says where your where your treasure is, that's where your heart will end will end up going. Meaning, uh, money we steer money, and and I'm going on a tangent now, but we steer money, and as we steer it, so go our emotions, and so. Uh, in a way, we're, we're cutting the umbilical cord during this pandemic and we're asking ourselves, well, if money's not involved, what am I called to? What am I graced to? What am I gifted to? And so that was a decision Chelsea and I made. Uh, it resulted in a lot less income, frankly, just being really candid, mm-hmm. but uh, a lot less wealth, excuse me, a lot more wealth in other areas. I'm over the bottom line Western world mentality. Uh, it's not delivering what we promised. The American dream is not what we think it is. It's not what we're telling people it is. Um, and we're certainly learning that right now. I've, I've, I've got to stop because I'm just that. I just think that's a riveting question. So thanks for asking. <laughs> Listen, you're guest number one because I love to hear you talk. Come on. Listen, listen, I feel like you said something to me. I'm sitting here like, I don't know if I want to um, like pass out like I'm in um, a straight up Pentecostal church or I don't know what I want to do. Right now. <laughs> Yo, but I feel like there's something that, that you said to me that was, that, that was so significant. And that is... um. I feel like you asked yourself a clarifying question, and that is, if money were not an issue, where is my heart? And so I feel like what you hit on and what you're highlighting is the difference between standard of living, quality of life. Now, there's this assumption that those two realities are the same, right? but I think um, whether it's from personal experience or indirect experience, maybe with, you know, people that have been in your relational orbit as a pastor and as a leader and as a, you know, as a human, that you can speak to the fact that those two things are not the same. Let's talk about that a little bit, because I think sometimes that's what drives the desire to acquire, to obtain, to be known. The assumption is that. The higher I go, the more I have, the better I will feel about me. And what you're saying is, what I feel like you're saying is, that is absolutely not the case. Well, and and there is not a lot of um, demonstrative, uh, radical kind of outlier statements that Jesus seems to um, Kind of, I mean, there are a few, but seems to reiterate that is so counterculture to the Western world, right? I mean, Jesus obviously his his context for some thirty three years was not the Western world. We have colluded, we have collaborated with the Western world. Our gospels become Western, our worldviews Western, our values are Western, and I'm not inherently against that. I'm just saying we've got to challenge it and question it. Jesus says things like, "What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Live the fullest of the American dream, but in the process lose himself luke chapter 9 and that i mean that quite that that scripture haunts me um to this very to my core uh you cannot serve god and money jesus says you will love one and you will despise 
despise. You will be dismissive towards the other. So oil and water is how God describes loving God and loving money. He doesn't say money and God. He said obsession with God and obsession with money cannot coexist. So those are some pretty dramatic statements by our Messiah, our teacher, our rabbi, our king. When he says that, you have to go, whoa, that's a different worldview than I have. And I'll say this, and I'll be as candid as I possibly can. And Stephen Furtick and I, to name drop, we actually text today about this. I said, bro, my head's spinning. He goes, share with me one thought of why your head is spinning. And this was my thought to Stephen today over text message. I said, bro, God made this world we did not. This was all God. It was here before we got here. It'll be here before we're we're gone. It'll be here after we're gone. We are not a Messiah. We are not the designer. We are not the originator. It is his world. He knows how best for us to live in his world, right? It's like if my kid said, I want to use a lawnmower to cut my hair. I'd say, son, you got to understand John Deere manufactured (laughs) that lawnmower to never cut your hair. That's for cutting grass, son. And I think God in his goodness and grace oftentimes is teaching us saying, I didn't make my world this way. I didn't make my world to collect toys. Toys are not going to fulfill your soul. And so Chelsea and I about, uh, like I said, four or five years ago, we made that decision. And the reason is, and and I told Stephen this, I traveled a lot in my twenties and thirties and got to be on um, some stages that are way outside my understanding or, or my credibility in terms of my body of work. And people put me on those stages and I got to tell the story of Jesus. Now, what I thought would happen is my soul would just get more rich and wealthy and blessed. And I would feel so secure and confident. But the more exposure I got and the more well-known, wealthy people I ran into, the more self-aware, the more insufficient, the more insecure, the more I had to fight off. I want more. I need to be on more. I want more money. I need. And, And I realized this was going to be sadistic and I had to stop the cycle. And. So for us, the not traveling, sure, marriage, kids, all those things, of course, but to be completely candid, Darius, I had to cut some of that out because it was affecting my soul because I, like you said, I was pursuing a quality of life rather than a buoyant and healthy soul. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that, bro. That's, that's crazy. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the woman at the well in John 4 that Jesus encounters. And basically what he says to her is like, listen, when you find your status, if you don't find your satisfaction in me, I'm paraphrasing. If you don't find it in me, you're always going to live thirsty. So this whole idea that you will never thirst again, like the converse of that is like, yo, you will thirst forever because there will never feel like there. Like what I found in my experience is if like, if we were to use the terminology of levels, it's like this. It's when you graduate from one level, you graduate to the bottom Mm. of the next. It's almost like school. You go from, you go from, I don't know, a senior in high school to, and then you graduate and then you're, you're a freshman in college. (laughs) So you graduate. So it's like when you move from one level to the next, you, you, you get exposed to you get exposed to more and there never 
never feels like there. I think that's that's so profound. And I think it applies. I think people may hear this and assume this applies to pastors and preachers when it applies to every space in life, whatever your whatever field or area of expertise you got ambition for. This applies to that. Would you agree? Oh, with all of my heart has everything to do with. In fact, this is the checkpoints you got to go through. And I wish that I would have more. But you know what's crazy, Darius? I keep thinking, and I think this is true of so many of us. It will be different for me. It'll be different. I will choose standard of living over quality of life. And it will work for me. I know it didn't work for uh, Michael Jackson, or I know it didn't work for Elvis Presley, but it's going to work for me. And it's like, nope, nope, you are not going to be the exception. If you choose standard of living, stuff, toys, and things, and renown over a wealthy, healthy soul, what happened to Solomon and everybody else since him will happen to you. And it's, it has certainly touched me and, and happened to me. Yeah, that's, I, I, I think that's amazing. And I think it's a key, it's, it's like a, it's like the quintessential question. It's like a domino question. It's like one of the first questions I think, you're right, we should ask in attempt to clarify our calling. And that is, yeah, if this, if money was not an issue, where is my, where's my heart? I feel like that's so profound. And I think that gives us, that will help give us a degree of clarity, obviously prayer and things of that particular nature. This is what I believe though, Judah. I believe after conversion, God's greatest gift to us is clarity. Wow. I do. After conversion, greatest when when we get clear, when we get clearer, decisions become easier. We can see what doors are opportunities and what doors are traps. And we get to see more importantly, we get to see not just um who we are, but we also get to see who we are not. And Which I want to talk to you a little now. bit. I want to talk to you a little bit about that because, kind of, even this conversation that you're having about the Western world and how it impacts our values, and that's not a conversation we hear a lot in religious spaces. I'm not saying it's not happening. I'm saying it doesn't seem to be broadcast as loud as some some other areas. And there there seems to be. I've even watched like this evolution. In now, some people may call it calling. I think times there are times people get two things confused, and that's your calling versus your role. I feel like mm. your calling is. I wanted to be a rapper growing up, so I use alliteration. Your your <laughs> your calling is God's invitation for your participation in the reason for your creation. It's it's God inviting wow. you to live your life in a way that's consistent with what you've been created and crafted for. Right. But that calling is going to carry itself. It's going to manifest itself in different roles in different seasons. And each time that calling evolves and expresses itself in a different way, then you got to give God another yes. So I think at some point, at one point you were not, I think you may have been doing youth ministry at your church. And then all of a sudden your father, you went through a different role, father passed away. And now you're, you were a succeeding pastor, and then you planted a work in Los Angeles. You became a planting pastor. So it's like your um, calling has manifested itself in different roles in different ways, and your your pastoral model of leadership is a little different. 
I remember we were considering planting in uh, Orlando. I was in California for something and I hit you up. I was like, yo, I need to come to LA thing and we need to talk because I need to see how you're doing this because this is, <laughs> this, this is kind of weird. So my point is, you're kind of walking in your own unique expression of what it means to do pastoral ministry. So is that something that you feel like you just kind of stumbled into by default? Or was it just, I don't know, a series of yeses that you felt like you gave God? Um, what kind of got you to this place where you had the courage to like really be you? I mean, you're, you got a different pastoral model. You're, you're teaching, the, this, is, this sounds so bad, but you're, teach, you're actually teaching the Jesus message. <laughs> you're in the fashion and art and just like, you're really not this or that. You're this and that. But to me, that, that all comes from, from clarity. Just kind of talk through that a little bit with us. Yeah, I think I think I'm trying to make it as practical as possible because you know each, each journey is so individual, and and I, I want to be really sensitive to to, to our listeners in, in terms of like, well, well, gosh, you know that that's great, you know that's your story. Uh, the board approached me. Uh, my dad probably didn't have long to live, and he didn't. And then suddenly here I am, and I really didn't know what I was doing, but I was taught from a young age you say yes to God, and so it seemed good to us and the Holy spirit, you know, and that's a reference to the early church first century Christians. And so I was like, boom, I'm in. Um, and then I learned how to use my yeses and my nos. And I, I, th I think that's something we got to talk about. I, I just don't think people understand how to use their yeses and their nos. I think what I found about my life, cause I know life is like a dance floor and the music will change. And it, it, you will not get a warning. The DJ is not going to give you a warning. The music's going to change. You just have to keep dancing. And when the music changes, the problem is you're not immediately. There's a few people that make it look smooth and easy, but you're, you're, you're going to look awkward for a second as you go from whatever genre, vibe, feel, and then all of a sudden the music changes and whatever you do, you keep, you keep dancing. So on that dance floor of life and all the transitions, as your calling evolves into different expressions and roles, I think it's going to be imperative. Um, and here's what, here's what I say. This is now opinion. I don't, this isn't like the story of Jesus or scripture. Here's what I think. I think in your youth, exposure is more powerful than education. Therefore I teach my kids to essentially say yes to everything. Now, obviously I'm not telling them to say yes to drugs and yes to right. pornography. We all understand there's some boundaries here for health, but essentially yes to everything. And I'm trying to put them in situations where they're exposed, 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 exposed. Well, as the exposure happens, exposure will always be a part of the dance of life. I think as you mature and you get older, you start to look at yourself in the mirror and go, I'm starting to get a handle on who I am and like you said who I'm not in other words I'm not good at that faithful are the wounds of a friend my friends tell me I can't hold a tune my friends tell me I'm not good with numbers my friends say you know and so you know you start to kind of go all right now once you start to get an idea of your abilities your aptitude um what comes naturally to you what you wake up with a passion for why you think God put you on this planet. Now stewardship is escalated. And here's where I think it lands. As you get older, my opinion now, your, your no will be far more powerful than your yes. 
And and what I find is people who go, yes, 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 yes. And then all of a sudden, you know, they start to kind of go, wow, I kind of know who I am. I think there is a, uh, how should I say? There's a, um, there's a misuse of funds, if you will. There's a misuse of that because all of a sudden you start saying yes to everything. And if we've learned anything, you say yes to everything, you're not going to be good at anything. <laughs> so what do you need to say no to? And man, I'll tell you, Darius, when I started saying no, I, I just recently said no to leading church home uh, day to day, the practical day to day, we just hired a CEO. And the reason, and that took years from the board to finding the right person. I said no to CEO. I said, I can't be the CEO. I'm not good at the CEO. I'm not wired for the CEO. It took me till I was 40 to figure that out, but somebody else needs to run this church. I'll be the talker. I'll be the teacher. I'll be, you know, and I'll do that, but I actually don't know how to hire and fire. Well, I don't know how to build a system that will help us to continue to forge forward and multiply and grow. And so I do think recognizing, and it's not always your age, but if I could speak to listeners who are in their thirties and their forties, this is your no time. No, I'm not doing that. I'm, and by the way, it's saying no to money. It's saying I had a buddy uh, that I heard about today, turned down millions of dollars because it wasn't him. His net worth today is 1.3 billion, but wow. he said no to millions years ago. And I'm not saying we're all going to be billionaires. I mean, if I could, I would. Darius. <laughs> Come on. So I Jesus. Think we should use that. No. Come on, Jesus. No, man, that that's incredible. And, um, here, and, and I know we got to wrap up here, but here's my assumption. I'm making an assumption here. The assumption Please. is, that the ability to say no, right, requires more than just like cognitive or mental awareness. Like it requires some, some courage, some soul health, if you will, you know, because <laughs> saying no to opportunities, saying no to income. So, I mean, you wrote a whole book on it. How's your soul? So could you talk a little bit about how, listen to this, tending to the soul helps you when it comes to clarifying your calling. Mm, so good. First of all, here's something we know. And I mean, K N O W not N O. Here's something we know in the beginning of time, God sets up utopia. It is, it is paradise. And yet, why do we think it's strange that in the middle of that utopia, he stacks the odds in our favors, my brothers and sisters. He stacks the odds in our favors. We don't know how many trees Adam and Eve could eat, but we know it was a lot. Like it, it fruit on fruit on orchards on orchards on orchards. Can you, we gotta, we gotta just understand the character of God. In all of that, he gives us or them one tree that they have to do what? Say no to. They gotta say no to because the necessary no is good for the soul. Here's what I learned about saying no. The more you do it, the better you'll get at it, the more courage you'll have. I believe, and I'm getting, I'm going I'm to get up. Saying no to a lot of good things is an act of worship. And here's what I think it is mm -hmm. it is saying, no, I am not my own source. That business deal is not my own source. Subway is not my source. My Starbucks job is not, is not my source. I'm moving on. I'm saying no. 
God is my source and God will supply. This leads us to the teaching of rest. Rest is worship. Rest is I will sleep tonight. And while I sleep, there will be one who will not. And he neither slumbers nor sleeps for he is the architect, designer and creator of the universe. So every time we say no, it is we might as well lift our hands and sing a worship song. We should sing Maverick City worship like God, you're in charge. You're in control. You're the captain. You are my economist. You are my boss. You are my supply. You are my surplus. And yet in our world, we are so cerebral. We are so analytical. We run the numbers, put it on a spreadsheet, and we tell ourselves, I can't quit that job. I have to have that job. I'm going to tell you what the thing, what you only have to have. And that is the love and forgiveness of your creator and your designer. He promises. He promises. We have to watch the nation he built. He named that nation. He built that nation. And you watch the nation God built Israel. And now we get grafted in because of Jesus. We are the nation of God. We are the people of God. And God promises that he will supernaturally supply. But I think oftentimes that know that results in worship. God, I won't do that. Evidently, not only is it indicative of a healthy soul, it promotes a buoyant and healthy soul. And so Mm. I suppose in a time like this, um, I definitely have had long combos with my wife. Like, okay, what, what are we going to say? No to now. And I'm, I I don't know. I can't prove this Darius. You can stop me now and tell me I'm wrong, (laughs) but I'm telling you when you start telling people, no, they start knocking on your door more. I'm telling you (laughs) deals, ladies and gentlemen, please hear what I'm saying. People that if that deal is meant to be, if that job is meant to be, you trust God with it. You don't have to strive. You don't have to work it. God will work it out. And while you sleep, he will work for you. And I, I'm I'm betting the farm on that. I'm betting uh, my checkings and savings on that. Yeah. And uh, as a result, these last few years, my, my, my soul has, has improved dramatically. Yeah, uh, man, I think that's so profound. You know, I was recently reading something and it's, and, and it, it's, it's amazing because the work is on the soul is, is on this idea of flourishing. Some mm. a group of people did a group of psychologists did some research uh, specifically here in America, just to get the sense of what word would best describe the emotional state of people in America. And the word that they came up with was languishing. So the book is Whoa. on flourishing, but it's this whole idea of languishing. I think the words Jesus user like would be heavy laden. You know, and um, the idea is, man, to to get the soul to flourish. And like you said, it takes practice. It's <laughs> it's you won't ever get better at saying no or living by faith or switching the values that drive your decisions until you actually do it. It's like thinking you're not going to be afraid of water by not getting in it. Only way right. you're going to overcome the fear of water is by getting in it. Man, listen, this is, this is what's so dope though. You are, you are living this message. And I know you wouldn't say this about yourself, but I'm going to say it because it's true. You are, you are living this message. Thank you Thanks, for living it. Thank you for your courage. 
Thank you for being my friend, my man. <laughs> our friendship is podcast. only going to flourish, not languish. We are our, our friendship is flourishing. It's flourishing, man. <laughs> Thank you for being the first guest ever. I'm gonna hold that dear in my heart. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Like I, if, if all is 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 lost, if all is lost, and the world and and the sky is falling, uh, and my last breath, it'll be like, tell my wife I love her. Tell my kids I always love them. Jesus, I'm going to see you soon. And if they ever forget, tell them I was the first guest on the Darius Daniels podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Man, listen, I love you. Thank you so much for adding value to this this podcast and to our community, bro. We love you. you. And as a result of this time together today, this is what I believe. The pandemic is an opportunity to pivot. It's an opportunity to pivot for many of us. And I feel like just as it was for the Israelites coming out of Egypt, they came out with gold. We have to make a decision. I got to try to mine. This is so tragic. Let me try to mine the gold out of this so I can come out richer in clarity. Richer in Israel came out. They had the gold, but more than anything, they knew they were gods. They knew they were destined and they knew they were created for more. And what they lived wow. in. So I feel like as a result of our time together, that's going to happen. I love you, bro. Thank I you for being a part it. of this. I love you, my friend. Hey, and we got to so do it again. For who you are. I promise. Say I'm it on in. the air. Say it on the air so they can hold you I'm to I'm in it. if you're in. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> love you, bro. I right, love you, man. something that matters very much to me is that I get the opportunity to hear from you. A mentor of mine told me a long time ago, you can't help people you're unwilling to listen to. So I want to hear from you. I want to hear your questions. I want to hear your comments. And I also want to carve out a segment of each show called Ask Dr. Darius, where I get the privilege of responding to some of your questions. So we had a few questions that I'm going to be responding to today. Hopefully it adds value to your life. The first question comes from Ray Thompson and Ray says, I'm going crazy trying to work from home and be present with my kids as well. I am not a teacher. I think we all, all parents have a greater appreciation for our teachers. Shout out to all of our teachers. So Ray says, any tips for balancing work and family while we're all cooped up? Well, the first thing I'll say when it comes to that word balance is this. I don't think we can get balance right if we see it wrong. And this is what I mean by that. Balance isn't steady. It's not stagnant. It is not equal attention given to everything equally over a period of time. I'm about to date myself, but I used to play in parks and on the playground growing up uh, on this device called a seesaw. And if you ever try to balance out a seesaw, you realize that balance is a balancing act that it requires adjustments and recalibration and realignment. And I think just as that is the case with the seesaw, it is also the case in life. Balance is a balancing act. The key is not allowing one side of the seesaw 
to be disproportionately higher or lower than the other for an extended period of time. And once you recognize that's happening, recalibrating and making the appropriate and the proper adjustments. So here are a few tips that um, I think hopefully may add some value. So the first thing is as best as possible to try to schedule the days. I know that's easier said than done. But if we don't tell our time where to go for us and our kids, we'll wonder where it went. So we don't want this to feel like a prison, but we do want to establish a path in terms of the way our time is going to be managed. This won't be done perfectly, but it is it is better to set schedules and to manage them imperfectly than to not set one at all. Because even if you manage the schedule imperfectly, you're going to make progress. And the more progress you make, the more peace you will have. And I think we all need a little bit more of that. I know I do. So schedule your days. Number two, set expectations. I think this applies with kids and coworkers and colleagues. Because coworkers and colleagues are probably accustomed to having your undivided attention during a certain part of the day. And kids are accustomed to having our undivided attention a certain part of the day. Right now, in the middle of a global pandemic, that's just unrealistic. (laughs) And so I think it's important to communicate as best as possible to colleagues and to kids what they can reasonably expect from you and what you expect from them. Number three, set boundaries, because I believe once you set the expectations, you have to help people respect those expectations. You can rest assured when you set some expectations (laughs) that someone's going to try to violate those boundaries. So it's important to set them and to hold them. That's key. And last but not least, I want to say also accept imperfection. We're in the middle of an unprecedented global pandemic. This is chaotic times. People need our grace. We need their grace also. So things aren't going to be done perfectly. So accept it from others and give yourself a little grace also, because these are really unprecedented times. Thanks so much for that question. I appreciate it. The next question comes from Nia Williams Martin. And Nia says, this pandemic is taking the lives of innocent people. That is so true, especially in the black community. And she asks, where is God in all of this? Why would he let this happen to us? I really think that that is such a profound question. It's an age-old question. And for some people, it causes them to question the existence of God. And other people, for other people, it causes them to question the very nature of God. Is God good? Like, how can he be good and allow things like this to happen? You know, one of the things that I think that God consistently tries to communicate to us throughout scripture to kind of set our expectations in a way that are realistic with the reality of this world is this simply tries to communicate that we are broken people living in an imperfect, broken world where unexplainable, illogical, and unfortunate things happen. I mean, there's like a whole book of the Bible dedicated to this. I think this is the story of the Bible, period. But there's a whole book of the Bible dedicated to this. It's the book of Job. And it shows how sometimes the unfortunate And the unexplainable happens. And it is evidence of the brokenness of this world or the brokenness of humanity. But it is not, it is not in any way an indictment on the goodness of God. God 
commits to be good. He can be nothing but good. And where is a good God in the midst of all of this? A good God is in the midst of all of this consoling, comforting, guiding, healing, sustaining, restoring, and listen to this, and also restraining. Sometimes when things like this happen, it causes us to feel like God's doing nothing. When the truth of the matter is, I believe at least, that sometimes the goodness of God is not just seen in what is happening, but the goodness of God is seen in what isn't happening in the sense that, man, maybe God is doing some restraining. Maybe it could and would be worse without the intervention of a God who loves us and who cares for us. And this is tough because people are losing their lives. And obviously we have locations, our churches in New Jersey, and um, we're being impacted in a disproportionate way. And it's disproportionately impacting the African-American community. And it's exposing some disparities that have existed for a while that need to be addressed. But God is in the midst of it all, comforting, consoling, healing, restoring, and I believe restraining. So this is really, really hard. Uh, But I think it's important for us to find confidence in that. Thank you so much for that question. Next question is from Kendra Powell. And Kendra says, I'm currently working from home, but I'm not sure my employer is going to make it through this season. It's gotten me to thinking about other dreams I've had and maybe pivoting to pursue some of my other career ideas, like starting my own company. It's pretty scary. Any advice? Yes. I think there's a lot of pivoting happening during this pandemic. I think, I think this pandemic is a great opportunity for some pivoting that needs to take place. So here's my two cents. When it comes to drastic moves like this, my philosophy is if I don't have a word, meaning a clear prompting from God to act in a way that is a bit out of the norm. When I don't have a word, I need to use wisdom. So I'm not saying don't pivot at all, but I am saying pivot wisely, not rashly. Period. Pivot wisely, not rashly. What does that mean? It means three things. One, pivot with prayer. I think that's important. Not just prayer on what to do, but when to do it and how to do it. Number two, pivot with prudence and That's wisdom. That's counting the cost. That's engaging in acts of self-assessment, to be honest with the way I'm wired. And am I actually a risk taker? It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that I don't take risk if I'm not a risk taker. It just means I need to take risk a certain way. Like some people function optimally when their back is up against the wall (laughs) and they've got no other options. For other people, they need to know that bills are paid and things are covered, and that gives them the creative bandwidth to flourish mentally. Mentally, Prudence helps me get a better understanding of me. So pivot with prayer, pivot with prudence, and pivot with partners. I think the wisdom of all of us is greater than the wisdom of any one of us, and I think partnership is key and important. And as the scriptures teach in the multitude of counsel, there's going to be safety. 
Okay, got one more question here. Oh, one of my favorite topics. Adrian says this. I know you're a big Michael Jordan fan. Any thoughts about the Last Dance documentary? It's an incredible story, but doesn't it seem like a conflict of interest for Jordan to be a part of the production company that's making it? I feel like there's another side to his story that he won't show because he's controlling the narrative. You know, I think all of that can be true. Nonetheless, this is what I will say. I will say, I think it's a pretty courageous act for Jordan way back in the 90s to allow a camera crew to have that kind of access. Think about that. Think about how long ago that was and how unprecedented that was during that time period. We got to remember that is pre-social media family. That's pre-TikTok. <laughs> that's pre-Instagram. That's pre-Snapchat. That that may have even been pre MTV's real world. I don't know. <laughs> but to allow that kind of access, I think, was unprecedented. It was amazing. And so even though this documentary may not show us all we'd like to see, I think it's a pretty courageous act by Mike to let us see as much as we are seeing. And for me, that's right. I'm not just a fan. In my opinion, he's the greatest basketball player I've ever seen on the court. I'm telling you that period point blank. Yes. So it's it's a great documentary. Listen, I want you to send in your questions and I want to answer some of them on the next episode. So send, if you have questions about anything, you see, we talked a little bit about everything in this segment. I want you to send them to me, send them to me via Twitter at me at at Darius Daniels, D-H-A-R-I-U-S Daniels, at me at at Darius Daniels, or send them to me via Instagram, same handle, at Darius Daniels, D-H-A-R-I-U-S. I want to thank you so much for being a part of today's episode. I want to encourage you to help me spread the word about this podcast by sharing it on your social media platforms. Also, we want to reach as many people as possible, and I can't do that without your help. So if this is adding value to you, I want you to help me add value to someone else. And I can't wait until next week's episode. I am engaging in a conversation with the one and only Christine Kane. (laughs) And we're going to talk a little bit about breaking barriers and the difference between your limits and your lane. It's going to be a great conversation. See you next time. Relevant Podcast Network.